For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. Hello and welcome to The Rock Podcast. The Lord said the wise person is the one who builds their life by putting the Word of God into practice. The book of Proverbs gives us a chance to assess how that work is going in the little details of everyday life. Now let's join Pastor Ross and reflect together on the wisdom-packed sayings found here in chapter 15. Now, Heavenly Father, we, we love the Proverbs. We're, as we're studying, we see them everywhere. We see wisdom and folly uh, in our own thought processes and through our actions. And it's so helpful. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for reminding us as we do the work to uncover these truths and apply them. You're so uh, faithful to help us, Lord, because you want us to be blessed. So we commit tonight's study to you in Jesus' name. Amen. At the end of one of our Lord Jesus' uh, most famous sermons, they're recorded, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, there in Matthew 7. Uh, He concludes with a pretty dramatic illustration, and it's one we use often because it's just so very insightful. He says, uh, there are two basic responses to uh, the Lord and his commands. He says, one is wise and one is foolish. And as you all know very well, The wise response was like a man who hears God's word and puts it into practice. And he says, that wise person who's practicing these truths is like somebody who's very wise who builds their house, which stands for their life, on a rock. So that when the storms of life come, and they will, right? The wind will blow and the rains will beat against that house and the waters will rise. And he says, in the end, That family, that man, will be safe. Not so the foolish. The foolish hear the word, they know the word, but they will not put it into practice. And so they're hearers of the word only, as James chapter 1 and verse 22 would say, deceiving themselves into thinking it's okay, it's enough to know or to hear, but not put into practice. And those, Jesus said, are like the, the foolish person who builds their entire life on uh, shifting sand. And then the storms of life come, as they will, and, and that house collapse, and he says, with a mighty crash. So it just speaks of the painful uh, destruction of a life that uh, is lived apart from God and his truth. And so uh, to find out whether or not you're putting those truths, if you're a wise builder, I think, uh, of course, his sermon uh, tells us all the truths that would make us wise. Uh, But the Proverbs goes into the nooks and the crannies so that we can evaluate, am I building wisely? Or am I a a fool who's not, right? So down into the nooks and crannies of life. So when you're in the grocery line or when you're at work at the work site or when you're in the locker room or on the sports field or in your marriage or in the kitchen, uh, these are where the Proverbs come to life and and in the privacy of our own thoughts. And so we pick up in chapter 15. We're going to travel through them again and and. Take all of that wisdom and apply it to our hearts and lives. Verse 1, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. I always put a star in my study where uh, it's a bell ringer for me. I just really appreciate this uh, proverb. So how to discern, uh, uh, how to disarm, I should say, uh, a heated conversation, how to disarm that that would come your way. Wise people... Uh, de-escalate potential arguments, but fools just aggravate the situation by stoking those fires. Now, the world would teach us when you're aggressed and when you're insulted and when someone gets in your face, especially if you're a man, that you fight fire with fire. The word of God, the upside-down kingdom, he says you fight fire with water, the opposite spirit, uh, the Holy Spirit, and that you would answer with a kind, a gentle, a tender 
thought that that would just calm the person down. But fools cannot think past their own hurt ego, uh, their own indignation, uh, and they want to throw gasoline on an already hot flame. And the, why that's so foolish is because if you're standing by a fire and you yourself pour gasoline on top of it, guess who's in danger of getting blown up? You, right? So the fool doesn't have the common sense to say, I need to back down here, calm everything down. And, 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 and uh, a, a Christian is like sort of an expert bomb squad person who comes in to diffuse, to diffuse it. He sees the potential of a big bang and he or she comes in because they're a peacemaker. Blessed are the peacemakers for they are the children of God. Worldly people, they just, uh, you know, they're not here to make peace necessarily. Verse 2. The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouth of the fool gushes folly. Here's an observation about what the wise person and the foolish person have to offer. So when you listen to a wise person, a believer who's walking with the Lord, you'll grow smarter about life. And when you're giving ear to somebody who's an unbeliever who's just babbling and you're listening, you will only hear stupidity. And much of what you hear is poisonous. It'd be one thing if you could just put up with it and let it go in one ear and out the other, which we try to do. But while it's passing through, it's leaving its residue in between your two ears, which is called your brain. And so that's not a good place to put babbling. Amen? Verse 3. The eyes of the Lord are everywhere, keeping watch on the wicked and the good. I'll put a little heart there, because I like this one. Listen, it's clear enough. Uh, it's very uh, friendly little reminder that nothing escapes the eyes of the Lord. The Lord sees everything. He sees everyone. The Lord knows everything about everybody. And not just like Google Earth, you know, he, it's not just like, whoa, I can see everybody on the outside. Well, that, God's got x-ray vision. He has a, a portable MRI right in his brain. He can just look at somebody and he just sees everything and knows everything. Now, for the blood-washed Christian, this is good news. I'm glad that he knows everything because it just frustrates me to no end when, when things aren't told correctly or people don't know the whole story. And it's like, relax. I know more than you know about the situation. I understand you better than you think you understand yourself. You know, there's creatures before the, the throne of God and they're described in Revelation chapter four. And, and the, the, the coolest thing about them is they have wings but the wings are covered with eyes on the front and on the back. And what does that say? He's the all-seeing God. He sees everything. And that ought to stir up a little bit of a sense. And everything I've ever done wrong in my whole life, I, it has a root in failing to apprehend this, that God's in the room and God's standing there, standing there watching me, right? And it's when I get far away from that truth that God's somewhere, you know, busy in China, you know, that, that I think I could do my little thing over here. And God's like, oh, oh, what happened? Oh, you know, what, did I miss something here? Y you know, okay, I think you get it. Oh, I've got two scriptures. I can't uh, listen. I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. I'm looking straight into your heart. I'm listening to every one of your thoughts, and I'm going to recompense you accordingly. I, I think I, I, I'm going to make a copy of that and put it everywhere. I, I think it'll change the way I live. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything's uncovered and laid bare before the eyes to whom we must give an account. How's that one for your refrigerator? 
right there. And then you're just going to mouth off and do your thing and think your thoughts with those right in front of you? I don't think so. Verse 4. The tongue that brings healing is a tree of life, but a, a deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. So once again, the great potential of our words to heal or to hurt, to build up or to crush. And Christians have a moral obligation to follow a commandment. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Let not any unwholesome talk proceed out of your mouth except only what encourages or builds up others. That's a command. Christians want to build up. They don't want to strike out or tear down. Verse 5. A fool spurns his father's discipline, but whoever heeds correction shows prudence. All right, so how well one responds to correction, that word discipline there, uh, reveals their character. Right, and we see this over and over again. So a wise life starts early. It starts in the junior high years. He's talking to young sons in the original context. High school, young adult, this kind of thing. Uh, uh, learn the hard lesson of yielding and heeding to uh, and submitting to correction. Because if a man or a woman doesn't learn it young to submit to authority and to listen and respect their correction, and to make amends, wow, uh, it's 10 times harder. 10 times harder. If, if, if at all, you're, if you're ever even going to learn it, if you don't learn it young. You know, because uh, the word here in Hebrew is na'atz, na'atz. And it means to despise or to reject or to look down your nose on something, to consider something worthless, correction in this case. So uh, the guy spurns his father's and mother's advice and correction. He spurns his teacher's correction. He spurns the laws of the land's uh, correction. He spurns the word of God, you see? And so teach your heart when you're young. Where are you young ones? Raise your hand if you're young. Okay, never mind. (laughs) Teach your young heart to bend to correction because that's wise. Verse six. The house of those who are right with God, that's what righteous means. The goodness that comes from being right with God. The house of those who are right with God contains great treasure, but the income of the wicked brings them trouble. So here's what it's saying. Good things and blessings are in store for those who are right with God, generally speaking. But even when unbelievers prosper, Calamity is just on the way. Um, There's more to life than a good income. Verse seven, the lips of the wise spread knowledge, not so hearts of fools. So some lives are a benefit to society and others are a liability. How sad, how sad to find out that the world is a worse place because of you. The church is a more vulnerable place because of you a weaker place because of you. Or the church is a stronger place because of you. And giving is up because of you. And morale is up and division is less because of you. That's a good thing. Well, it reminded me of 2 Corinthians 2 and 14. It says, but thanks be to God who leads us in victory and uses us to spread the fragrance of the knowledge of him Everywhere. So what he's saying is that through our lives and through our lips, we spread the knowledge. And everything we do and say, we're, we're, it's always pointing people to understanding what life is all about, who God is, our Christian testimonies, the way we live and all of that. That's you. You contribute. You spread knowledge. Verse 8, the Lord detests the sacrifice of the wicked, but... The prayer of the upright pleases him. And so I have a star here. I'm just letting you know which ones I really resonate with uh, tonight anyway. Um, The spiritual condition of the worshiper will determine the acceptability of the worship. God never says anywhere that you need to be perfect, but he does say you need to be blameless that you can't walk with me and then live a double life intentionally without 
repenting without confessing. Every one of us here have issues, stumblings, all of that, right? We still come in and worship God because we're not, it's the bent of our life that matters. But if you're off doing your own thing and you have a little secret little sin, this is what we're talking about here, that even Christians who are, uh, don't have their hearts quite right with God, he, he says, you know, you could go through the motions, but it doesn't mean anything. It's kind of like when Jesus said, if your brother is a, you've offended your brother, go, before you leave your offering, go and make it right with him because your heart matters here. So it's easy to sing. It's easy to be religious. Sacrifices, here's what he's saying. Uh, sacrifice, being religious, keeping traditions, especially in more religious uh, um, traditions of churches. Uh, you know, it's easy to light a candle and, and, and go to service and take communion and donate money. And he's saying that doesn't mean anything if you're not with the right heart. Bad people can do outwardly good things and God is not impressed. That's the point here. Uh, I remember reading somewhere that a mafia boss you know, who had people killed all the time and he was embezzling and money laundry, but laundering, uh, he, he never missed mass every day. It was a big thing to him while he's out killing people. Right there. The Lord detests that. It doesn't make, you know, I gave the church, you know, $500,000. <laughs> I thought that was funny, and some of you did, some of you didn't. That's okay. Verse 9, the Lord detests the way of the wicked, but he loves those who pursue righteousness. So this is the truth that supports what I believe is true, that God hates the sin and loves the sinner. And uh, there's a bit of a struggle there because some of the verses just hone in on the actual person, but here is more of the, the, the truth of the matter because God's loved us, you know? He loves people. He detests the way they take because ultimately he loves them. And he loves us. He hates when we do things like this. First, uh, First Timothy 2.4 says, our God and Savior wants all men and women to come to the knowledge of the truth and be saved. So uh, that's the path he loves when his children are walking uh, in a safe place and blessing. Verse 10. Stern discipline awaits him who leaves the path. He who hates correction will die. The die there is sort of a premature death, an unnecessary death. Uh, you know, there are some Proverbs that, that need no explanation because they're beautiful. We're just going to say this one together. Let's say it together. Stern discipline awaits him who leaves the path. He who hates correction will die. Verse 11. Death and destruction lie open before the Lord. How much more the hearts of men. So interesting, a common method in Hebrew poetry, and one of the ways that Proverbs uh, takes as a method is the argument from lesser to greater. So it'll say, if this is true, then how much more is this true? So two interesting words here in Hebrew, sheol, death, the place of the departed or the realm of the dead in the Old Testament saints, they did not know a lot about resurrection and heaven and death and what happens. They just, God did not reveal a lot until the new covenant and Christ dying and raising again. And so it was pretty murky. And so the point here is that here's this gray nether world of death, uh, sheol, and destruction. The word in the Hebrew is abaddon. Now in Revelation, I believe it's chapter 9, Abaddon, the Hebrew word, is translated to the Greek, which is apollyon, which means destroyer or destruction. It can mean either. And it's associated with the devil, with Satan, and his domain, hell. So it, destroyer or the place of destruction, right? And so what he's saying is, if these destructive processes don't operate apart from God, 
then how much more does he know what's going on in our hearts and lives? Because we always think he doesn't know, he doesn't care, he doesn't see me, you know. But he's saying, look, if something as gray and murky as uh, this place of the netherworld, he knows, he sees there. Uh, you know, in Psalm 139, when he says, um, if, I may, if I go up to the heavens, if I sprout wings and fly, you're up there. And if I make, I, and if I make my bed in Sheol, you're there too. So there's a sense in which in heaven and hell, there's no place you can go to flee from the presence of the Lord. He sees it all. And if he sees those kinds of places, how much more simple, you and me, piece of cake, right? That's kind of the idea there. Verse 12, a mocker, a a scorner, uh, resents correction. He will not consult the wise. So here's why a diagnosis is given why fools remain fools, all right? If they remain fools, this is the reason why. They resist all efforts to help reform them because they're too full of themselves. They know everything. They'll have to acknowledge what they did wrong. They'll have to make amends. They'll have to humble themselves. Fools don't do that. Fools are like, it's your problem. You got a problem with that? That's your problem. That's a fool. Oh, consulting the wise. Yeah. <laughs> they won't consult the wise, but you know what fools do? They'll consult the wise. They'll consult only people who will tell them what they want to hear. Even among the so-called wise. Verse 13, a happy heart makes the face cheerful, but heartache crushes the spirit. Here's a big psychological insight here, a Dr. Phil moment brought to you here (laughs) by our Lord and Savior Jesus. Um, Undeniable connection between our emotional and spiritual condition and obvious effect on body and soul. There's just no denying it. The truth, soul care. You must take care of your soul if you want to be healthy in your body as well. Now, what do I mean? When, when you're reading your Bible, when you're walking with God, that really deals with your guilt, your shame. You are less inclined to be driven by fear and worry. You're less inclined when you're walking with God, when you're, you're doing the Christian disciplines, when you're serving him, you, you have more forgiveness. Your hurts are healing. You're not concentrating on things that lie behind. You're pressing forward to the upward calling uh, of Christ Jesus in your heart and life. Um, you're getting through difficult relationships and people situations with soul care. You can have the joy of the Lord, a happy heart. But when you're not walking with the Lord and you have heartache, man, everybody knows. Stress produces fatigue, depression, indigestion, high blood pressure. These are related to how we are walking with God. Now, now you can't say because somebody has A, B, C, or D that they're not walking right with God, but it's a possibility. Make sure that you have the joy of the Lord and take care of your inner life. Take care of your inner life. We take care of the outer life so much because everybody can see it, you know? And so we take, we, we spend a lot of money on how we look and, and our exercises and especially women and what for a good cause. You know, women, I love you and everything's cool, you know? But uh, there's more to life. There's soul care. Verse 14 the discerning heart seeks knowledge, but the mouth of a fool feeds on folly. So here's the importance of motivation. The wise believers set our minds and are after more of Jesus and more of the Bible and more of righteousness. The fool is after more foolishness. Be careful what you're after because God may let you have it because he loves you and wants you to learn. Verse 15, all the days of the oppressed are wretched, 
but the cheerful heart has a continual feast. This is a five-star proverb for me. I, lo- I love this. I have written down, wow. Life can be difficult and delightful at the same time, depending on your attitude and disposition. And how do I know this? That's from traveling to developing nations where they have nothing and every single day is wretched. From my point of view, I look at them, it's wretched. I couldn't live there a day and a half in their conditions. And there's joy. And there's peace and there's contentment. I'm not just telling you stories. I've been in the huts. I've been there. It's, it's just dirty and wretched and hard and difficult and oppressive regimes. And they've got the joy of the Lord. And so even in your oppression, if, you cannot chain down the heart. The apostle Paul is in prison. He's chained to somebody. He's, he's facing execution. And he says, rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. He's filled with the, the joy of the Lord. Why? Because you cannot chain the heart that's chained to heaven, that's destined for, uh, for eternal life. You just can't do it. And we need to concentrate on that. Verse 16. Uh, it's, there are two connected here. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. Better a meal of veggies where there's love than a fattened calf with hatred. And that, yeah, five stars for me. I love this one. Now, to be right with God brings a spiritual kind of wealth that is greater than any material wealth. Jesus said, uh, what would it profit a man if he gained the whole world but lost his own soul? So a, a Christian of meager or modest means that has sweet contentment, the blessing of God, a clean conscience. What would you pay for a clean conscience? Forgiveness of all your sins. Man, alive. Peace of mind. Now, Christians wouldn't trade their lives with that kind of blessing for the empty, uh, wealthy lives uh, with all of the worries. That's the idea. Verse 17, I like this. Having happy and loving relationships turn a humble situation or a meager meal into something wonderful. A salad with somebody you love is better than a steak dinner with someone you don't. <laughs> I could have said with someone you hate, you know, or someone who hates you, or, or at a table where people hate each other. You know what? We've all been at that table. There's no fun at that table. There could be a lot of good food at that table and a lot of big bank accounts represented around that table, but you just want to get away from there. I... We had the kids over. We had a fun family dinner night last night. And out came some pictures to, to compare little Xander with little Zachary when, when he was the same age, right? And, and when Zachary was born, we were at our poorest. Bar, we were on Medi-Cal. I was a full-time seminary student. I worked full-time. We had two little babies. Uh, we had nothing we had nothing. We lived in this little cinder house. And, and we were so happy. And we had nothing. We would go through our cushions looking for change so we could go get a 7-Eleven hot dog and a big gulp and just go driving around the streets in L.A. and, and have the kids in the car and they would fall asleep. And that was the whole point. <laughs> they would put the kids in the car seat. We'll, we'll take care of this. Come on, kids. <laughs> We were so happy. The point of this proverb is order Chinese food in your one-bedroom little tiny apartment and be happy that you're not at some Hollywood bash with a bunch of spoiled brats who don't know Jesus and are headed for hell. Amen. <laughs> oh, how did I get that out? Verse 18. Verse 18. A hot-tempered man stirs up dissension but a patient man comes a quarrel. You see some repeating refrains here. Two kinds of guys out there, son. That's what he's talking to his boy. Original context. The guy who's a hothead, who thrives on escalating every little irritation, thrives on drama, always ready to turn every little thing into a big fight and a contest. Uh, and so... 
uh, he or she is a liability to families, to marriages, to employers, and a real trouble in church. So those kinds of people. Christians are supposed to manifest the fruit of the Holy Spirit, to be long-fused and patient and kind and always trying to make uh, peace, to overlook offenses. Come on, overlook it and cover over with love. Not doctrinal issues, not moral issues, but the 98% of the dumb stuff that happens because we're rubbing souls together here. Uh, be that dude. That's what he's saying. Be the patient man who calms a qu quarrel or do debt. All right. Verse 19, the way of the sluggard is blocked with thorns, but the path of the upright is a highway. Love this one. Got a little star by it. Once again, the liabilities of being lazy <laughs> in character and in discipline spiritually, because that's what we're really ultimately talking about. Here's a person who's lazy spiritually, can't make the effort, listen, of doing the hard work to grow in Christian maturity is hard work. How hard is it to overlook somebody who's just rubbing you the wrong way? Overlook it. How hard is it to go the extra mile when you didn't want to go the first one to begin with, <laughs> right? How hard is it to if your enemy is hungry, to fix them a meal. It's hard enough to fix somebody I like a meal, <laughs> let alone my enemy. You want me to spend a couple hours in the kitchen to cook for my enemy? How hard is that? That's pretty much hard. But I'll tell you what, the lazy person says, there's too much work. I'm not going to do that. Everything about denying self, picking up cross is work, 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 work. The lazy Christian says, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. And he says, that person, you're going to have a painful life. Every day you're going to go, ouch, 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 every day. Because those thorns are right in your path. You're not getting around it. You either do the work and you have a highway that God says, here you go, smooth, flat, narrow, straight, have at it, have fun. Because the Christian life is easier. The diligent Christian life makes life, generally speaking, easier than somebody who's lazy says, I don't want to do that. Too much work. I will forgive. 70 times 7. Verse 20. Which do you want, a painful life or a smooth, easy way? That's what he's asking. Verse 20, a wise son brings joy to his father, but a foolish man despises his mother. So the common refrain here, we hear this a lot. The choices you make in life affect your loved ones, those you claim you love and those who love you. Uh, so many people say, this had nothing to do with them. Yeah, it did. It always has something to do with mom and dad. Because mom and dad love you. Mom and dad are connected. We're talking about ideal parents here who know the Lord and are reasonable human beings. Right? So, uh, so to, here's uh, dealing with, speaking of normal and reasonable, uh, soft-hearted people uh, have a motivation uh, for good behavior because they want their parents to be proud of them and to experience joy uh, by their life. Uh, but not, uh, I can hear, and can, can you hear as well, the person who says, uh, I, I may not be walking the Lord's way, but I certainly don't despise my mother. Oh, yeah, you do. You know why you do? Because the Bible says you do. A fool who rejects God from a Christian home despises the most natural, most intimate relationship on the whole planet. There is, that, that's why it's despise your mother, because there is one relationship that, that, that is the most precious in the whole earth. There's only one, your mama, right? Your mom. And it says, when you walk away from God and you do dumb stuff and you bring shame and pain, you hate her. What is your problem? 
you've turned into a brute beast or an animal. Even little pups love their mama dog there. But you, you don't care. You care more about your sin and about you. And you love your sin at the expense of the pain it causes your mom and your dad. Now, conversely, the truth on the other side of that is all the joy you can bring, all the love, all the admiration. You can give back to mom and dad so much by just being living right. Like the Bible says, there's no greater joy to know that my children are walking in the truth. And so there's some great potential there. Verse 21. Folly delights a man who lacks judgment, but a man of understanding keeps a straight course. So here's a sad observation and just a pretty simple one. Um, Foolish hearts enjoy doing stupid things. And believers enjoy doing what's right. So if you enjoy doing stupid things, which, by the way, is why you do them, No one forced you to do the stupid thing. The reason you did the stupid thing is because you wanted to do it because you like it. All right? Sorry. Right? Amen? So here's what you do to fix that. You say, God, that was a really stupid thing, but I am so stupid and foolish and sick and twisted that I actually find joy in doing the wrong thing. So I pray that you change my heart so that I will like smart things and hate stupid things. Amen? Amen. Can you imagine praying that every day? Help me to hate what you... I do pray this prayer. I pray this prayer. This is a common... This is a 36-year-old prayer with me. Help me to hate the things you hate and love the things you love. I found that in a psalm. It's in a psalm. And uh, it stuck with me. Because I want, if this is set right, you will go right. But if you constantly want to do the wrong thing, you constantly will find a way to do it because you want to do it. So the, I think the, the key is, God, fix my, my want meter, you know? So it's wanting, it's wanting north and not south, amen? amen? I'm trying so hard up here. <laughs> verse 22, verse 22, plans fall, fail. I'll use that one. It's a lot bigger. Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. So God's so smart. He knows we we like to be little lone rangers, you know, but you can't do life without a collaborative effort. And if you're ever going to get anywhere with success with a big project, he's talking to future kings, his boys. He's a king. They're heirs to the throne. And he's going, son, you know, have a big council cabinet of advisors. You know, not just one, right? And for the Christian, it carries over with the godly, godly parents and, and uh, pastors and teachers and counselors and therapists, Christians, truth-telling friends, the internet, vast Christian resources on anything. There it is. Seek it out. Seek it out. Reminds me of... Um, seeking counsel anyway. Avoid the ones who, who will tell you what you want to hear because that, that, that's just not good. Uh, Second uh, Chronicles 18, I love this story. Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and Ahab, wicked king of Israel, the north, they get together to fight a common enemy. And Jehoshaphat was like that. He liked to just make friends with everybody, even King Ahab, which was kind of his downfall. And anyway, they got together and they said, let's inquire of the Lord if we're going to win or lose Jehoshaphat's idea. So King Ahab calls for the advisors. Here they are, the many advisors. And in come 400 of them. And right away, Jehoshaphat goes, uh, they all say, go to war. God is in this. And uh, Jehoshaphat goes, do we have anybody left who tells the truth around here? He, he just knew these guys are bozos. You know, I could tell by looking at them. Where'd you get these guys? And he goes, well, listen, there is one guy left. He tells the truth all the time. His name is Makaiah, right? And, and well, why don't you go get him? Well, I, I hate him. Why do you hate him? He never tells me what I want to hear. This is what he says. I'm not making this up. 
And, and he says, he's always saying something bad about me. I say, but it's the truth, and I don't want to hear it, so I go with these 400 guys who tell me lies, right? So, so uh, what's his name? Jehoshaphat says, I love this line, you shouldn't say things like that. <laughs> I, I just, it smells so much of truth there. You shouldn't talk like that. What are you, are you crazy? You, you get the 400 guys who tell you what you want to hear, and you know it's a lie, and you're avoiding the one guy who tells you the truth because you don't like him because he tells you the truth? You shouldn't say things like that. <laughs> Verse 23. A man finds joy in giving an apt reply at how good it is for a timely word. Now listen, being a wise person has a lot of benefits. It brings a lot of joy to you. When somebody comes to you with a problem and it's deep and it's causing them pain and there's tears in their eyes, even a guy, they're upset. They can't see the, the forest for the trees. And they come to you, and, and you've just been working the program. You've been, uh, you've been picking up your cross. You've been uh, denying self. You're walking with the Lord, and you've got some idea. He's teaching you. So people come to you. Say, what do you think about this? And out comes, whew, and they light up, and they think, wow, that's the answer. You see the life come back into them. And the tears are being dried, and there's optimism and light in the eyes, and you're like, wow. He's saying, isn't it a beautiful thing to be wise and be such a resource to hurting people? Doesn't it? Who's more blessed? Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And you think it's only about money? Oh, right there. Who's happier? The person who said, oh, man, that's going to solve this problem. Who's happier? I'll tell you what. When they leave the room, if, if it involved me by the grace of God, I'm happier than them. I'll just like, take me now. I mean, don't really. But <laughs> I, I, I just mean, you know what I mean, right? I never want to say, hey, I could die and go to heaven. When it's time. <laughs> All right, verse 24. The path of life leads upward for the wise to keep him from going down to the grave. I love this one. Come on. This is 10 stars right here. You're in an elevator. You want to go up where there's paradise? Or do you want to go down to the basement where the door opens and there are flames? Which do you choose? Moving on. That's exactly what it means. You want to go up and be blessed, or do you want to go down to the bottom level? All right. 25. The Lord tears down the proud man's house, but, the, but he keeps the widow's boundaries intact. The correlation here is obscure. Let me fix it for you. Let's start with the second clause. God is looking out for powerless, the needy, orphan widows. That's on his list. He, he looks out for them. And the prey, they often are the prey of the proud who want to take their land and take their houses. And so he's saying that he'll make the weak strong and he'll protect them and he'll actually go after their powerful oppressors. All right? So the point here to his royal sons is don't act in such a way that you abuse your power and you get God fighting against you on their behalf. And that happens all the time, Christian, in, in this kind of situation. Where if we're tearing down somebody, they don't even know it, and you're destroying their reputation. You're, you're, you're sending a signal up to him, chastise me, chastise me, protect him, protect him, and put me in my place, put me in my place. I don't think you want to say, hey, yo, up here, over here. Put me right here, right here. Just bring down the smackdown right here. Don't, don't do that. Amen? 26. The Lord detests the thoughts of the wicked, but those of the pure are pleasing to him. 26. Uh, before actions, behavior actually happens, before we behave, we think. 
It's really important to set the compass, set the rudder inside, and we see this over again. We think and we act. And so thoughts will, uh, that will either harm other people that are sinful or self-serving, God detests that, and so that's a good reason to forsake the thoughts while they're forming. You know, I'm going to get back with that person. Oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. The other thing. Just stop it right there. Bible says, 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 5, take every thought captive and make it obey Christ. Thoughts that will bless and help and encourage. How can I do good? That's a good reason to embrace that because it makes them happy. Verse 27, a greedy man brings trouble to his family, but he who hates bribes will live. Here's the correlation is unclear, I should say, uh, at first, but let me explain it to you. Uh, Money hungry and uh, immoral shortcuts to get money, uh, we're talking about the guy who gambles, the guy who uh, quick buck making, he wants, he's obsessed with money. It's money, money, money. He brings trouble on his household. And uh, you always will, mom and dad, bring trouble on your household. When you are doing the wrong thing, it will always affect your kids. And, and that's part of the truth here. Uh, heads of households' choices with wise and foolish bring repercussions to kids. But here's the second clause. So uh, for example, um, a greedy man is somebody who would take a bribe, right? So I'm going to give you 500 bucks if you, if you throw the game. I'll give you $1,000 if you set this person up so that I could get the contract, right? So that's an example of a greedy person. And, and the righteous person, the wise man, uh, will find life by not being so hungry for money that you bend the rules. That's the idea there. Verse 28, we're almost done. The heart of the righteous weighs its answers, but the mouth of the wicked gushes evil. Uh, No shortage of this idea in the Proverbs. The wise think before they open their mouth. That's the point here. Uh, We ask, before we engage the tongue, we ask, is this necessary? Is this wholesome? Will this edify? Will this unite? Or is this sinful? Is this profane? Is this edgy? Is it hurtful? Is it true? Does it bring people together or divide them? Is it healing? These are questions we ask, and we can ask them in split seconds. The Holy Spirit, just he's quicker than the computer, man. He just tells you, do you really need to say this? And then you have a choice. You can either go ahead and be a fool or go ahead and be wise. Verse 29. The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. So how our behaviors and our mindset and our life choices affect our prayers. So... Far is not physical location here. God is technically near and available to all. The idea here is that the wicked, by their behavior, has created some distance and and prevents God from responding favorably to their prayers. This works with Christians too, because Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 3, husbands, Live with your wives who are the weaker gender. Do not take advantage of them. Do not boss them around. Do not be overly harsh with your woman. Lest your prayers be hindered. In other words, how you treat your wife has an influence on whether or not God is predisposed to listen to your prayers. And this is the point here as well. Now, you know, he listens right away to the prayer of the wicked. When Manasseh wanted to pray, the most wicked man in the Old Testament repented. God allowed the Assyrians, the ISIS, the fathers of ISIS, they're their dads, their grandfathers. So ISIS with the hoods and the swords and the came in and hauled Manasseh, King Manasseh, wicked man, away. God said, we'll teach him a lesson the most wicked man in the Old Testament. And that dude was scared straight. 
He got on his face and prayed the most beautiful prayer. And God was like, whoa, look at that. And God was boasting about the prayer. I said, because he did, I'm going to bring him back to, the, to Jerusalem and let him, let him live. And he did. So, yeah, I mean, God, God's quick to hear any of, from the wicked <laughs> if it's a prayer of repentance, right? And so verse 30, a cheerful look brings joy to the heart and good news gives health to the bones. So does it take much to make a powerful impact on somebody? You guys want to do something good for somebody? You want to refresh them? You want to just light somebody's Christmas tree up inside of their hearts? Man, it just takes a cup of cold water. What is it? A cheerful look, a warm and inviting affirmation. He says, look what you can do. I mean, wise believers know this, and they make the most of every opportunity. Many Christians, listen to me, many Christians in here are living quiet lives of desperation. How do I know this? Because I know you guys, and you know me. We have crosses. It is hard. We have estranged relationships. We have strange relationships. We're busy. We have wounds. We have grief. We have insecurities and disappointments and besetting sins and anxieties and fears. Life is hard, and God has made it so easy to be instruments of comfort. I like you, man, looking at somebody and saying, man, and just affirming them, smiling, a cheerful look, a pat on the back, man. Even body language, the second clause, good news is powerful elixir, man. Everybody's struggling in here. If we only knew, if we only knew who's hurting in here and what you could say tonight, you got good news to fix them? You do. You're going to make it. Everyone born of God overcomes the world. God is using everything in your life for good. He said he will never leave you or forsake you, that you are the apple of his eye. He shed his blood for you. Nothing in all of creation can separate you. Jesus said, whoever comes to me, I will never turn away. You've got some good news to tell that person. When he looks at you, man, and God, God knows how many hairs are on your head. And if he knows something that's insignificant about you, he's so crazy in love with you that he's counting the hairs on your head. That's what Jesus meant. Jesus meant he's so obsessed with caring for you, he can give you a count right now. Whoops, you just lost another one, Ross. <laughs> Jesus' point, if God is so obsessed to know stuff that doesn't matter, it doesn't matter how many hairs are on your head. Sorry. <laughs> then how much more? No, no, that, that kind of encouraged somebody in the room and it encouraged me, that little tirade of encouragement, <laughs> right? That's what he's saying. Can you not do that to somebody instead of sitting there and just thinking, who's going to talk to me tonight, you know? Moving on, 31. We got two more, come on, we could do this. He who listens to a life-giving rebuke will be at home with the wise. That's verse 31. I got a heart by it. I like this one. The only one and the only way that anyone ever gets to be wise and to come into the wise club is that you had to get a life-giving rebuke. And that word means to be struck. You've had to be humbled. You'd have to hear, you know, you're a liar. You know, you've done this or that. You need to stop that. You need to change that. You're ruining your marriage. That's all about you. It's all about you. It's always been about you. That person who can handle that, that is how and make the amends and own it and be humbled and, 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 and make the changes. That is the person who can, who can see the way into the wise club. And, 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 and the picture is of all the wise people parting and opening and saying, come on in. You're at home here. Because we've all had to do that. We all had to get corrected. We all had to be humbled. We all had to sit in the hot seat. 
with everybody looking at us. Every last one of us. I mean, if you're gonna, if you're gonna be in at home with the wise. Thirty-two. He ignores correction, discipline. That's what that word means. Despises himself, but whoever heeds correction gains understanding. So here's a gigantic uh, paradox. The very thing that you're sparing yourself from because you love yourself so much, you actually hate yourself because you're setting yourself up for what Jesus called the big crash, right? So somebody who hates to be corrected is actually becoming their own worst enemy. And the last one here, verse 33. The fear of the Lord teaches a man wisdom and humility comes before honor. It seems to me that the entire chapter and the entire uh, book of Proverbs, uh, the prerequisite for all blessing is this one word, humility. Uh, John Stott called it the rarest and most lovely of all Christian virtues. The rarest. You know, the guy who's told you're the most humble guy in the church, you know, and they give him a little award, you know, and then he wears it around and brags about it all the time. You know, you can't do that. It doesn't work. You know, so proud to be the most humble guy around, you know. Listen, I'm going to close with this about humility. Listen, you want the honor. You want a position of leadership. You, you, want, you want to be led into the wise you have to be humbled. You have to be, Jesus considered himself a nobody. Philippians chapter two, he considered God in, the, in a body, made himself a nobody, no reputation. We have to be willing to do that. Uh, I close with this, all right? I remember the story, I worked as a waiter while I was going to Bible college at, the, at a place called the Holiday Bar Dinner Theater. It's now a business park. But it was a theater, and uh, I was a waiter, and I also was an actor there in one of the shows. Just, it was nothing. West Side Story, whatever. <laughs> I wasn't a lead part. I was mostly the waiter. They threw, let me go in there. Anyway, um, I was talking to somebody, and the lights were dimmed, and it was pretty dark in the stage. I was, we were right there and I was talking to some of the actors and they were asking me really hard questions about the Bible and I'm at Bible college and like I know everything, you know, and I was telling them some pretty good answers, you know, and they were like, whoa, I never thought about that. And, I, and the next one was like, wow, you really said that. Wow, that's right. And wow, I think I'm changing my mind about this. And I was like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, I know, I know stuff, you know, and, and, and so I'm 21 years old, all right? That's when you think you know everything and you, you know, well, watch what happens. I go to walk out of the building and the lights are low and they have black paint on everything so it's hard to see entrances and exits and the, the overhang was low. And I walked, and they're still kind of looking at me, and I'm thinking, I'm just savoring, well, I know stuff, you know? I know, and I showed it, I showed it, I brought it, all right? And while I'm thinking, I brought it, right? My forehead hits the overhang, and I knock myself out, all right? I knock myself to the ground, right? And I remember just like a cartoon, seeing stars, you know? And I hear them busting over. And I stand up and I look back and they just can't even hold themselves up, right? They're just laughing and mocking. And I'm like, I want to die. I want to die. And I, I promise you, this is what I heard in my head. You can't even walk out of a building without my help, you know? That's what I felt like he said to me. But don't you be Mr. High Horse, look at me, I brought it. You brought it? Mr. 21-year-old, you know. So, uh, you know, here's my suggestion. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to, but rather with sober judgment, Romans chapter 12, verse 3. 
lest the Lord have to teach you that you can't even walk out of the sanctuary without tripping and making a mess of things. Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your love. Thank you for the patience of your people. Long chapters, Lord, that we're learning a lot, and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. Closing song. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.